is in Canada. We've got time here on The Breakfast Show, which means that we are about to get into our Bible study. Before we do, we're going to hear what you had to say about the first half of the show. Mm. And we're also going to have another question for our quiz. We are going to have another question for the quiz as I open up my iPad here and I tell you, when Daniel heard there was a new law forbidding prayer to his God, what did he do? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. I was out there looking at the entry, the entry sheet for the uh, for the quiz, and there are lots of people. So this is your... But yes. You, you need to be in it to win it. And we're not saying this, you know, the lottery is like you need to be into, in it to win it, but actually it's just a tax on people because it's, you know, it's actually impossible to win. Whereas, no... Shipwrecks and snake bites. This game, you have a chance of winning. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And again, that question was, when Daniel heard there was a new Lord for, law forbidding prayer to his God, what did he do? All right, let's head over to our text messages to see what you had to say about the first half of the show. The first one says this, you guys are classic. Lawson mentions the option of gaming at the Commonwealth Games and sits back to watch, to watch the fallout from Lyle. <laughs> then, then Lyle mentions motorsports at the Commonwealth Games uh, would be far better than sits back to watch Lawson light up ethically. <laughs> Dude, I got a text for, another text from my friend from the States. He's like, no esports, bro, come on. <laughs> it's so funny. Okay, this one's a little bit more serious. Uh-huh. And one for a little bit of reflection for you and I. It says, good morning, Lyle and Lawson. I'm a bit shocked at how Lyle referred to a young female athlete as a chick. Mm. I thought that was you. That was that was me. Okay. I, I said that. I, I clearly remember saying the, the chick in the comment. I may have done. And then I said, yeah. The, and then I remember I, I said young girl. But anyways, yep. Yeah. Um, aren't we all past this sexist language? Plus, boomers worked hard all their lives to own their homes and are now helping finance their children. Mm. We didn't have all the stuff you young ones have to make life easier. I'm really surprised at the way groups are labelled in your show, rednecks, bogans, smokers, etc. Oh. So, yeah, I think there's a fair comment here that we can pick up our game and that Mm. we can be a little bit more careful. I Mm. think also that no one would be under any illusion who has visited my home as to my bogan status. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who's been to my place knows where I fit into society. (laughs) And I guess, you know, it's one of those things where I feel, you know, free to pick on Tasmanians because I am one. Mm -hmm. I feel free to pick on Bogans because I am one. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, yeah, I I take that. We can can do better. I don't want to address, like, yeah, using the word chick, like, again, like... You know, I, I can see how totally someone could see that being used in, like, a sexist context. But at the same time, like, we're using it in more of a, like, a colloquial Well, that's the way. vernacular of your generation. That's, that's right. Like, so I grew up with three sisters and, you know, I, from a very strict um, dad. Like, I, you know, I really got drilled into me my whole life. The value of looking after and caring for and loving women. Uh, and, yeah, I think that, you know... Definitely the word chick, maybe in a, in a previous generation, that scene is like, I don't know, chicky babe or something. And it's like, you know, referring to them in uh, uh, maybe like there's some kind of sexual undertone, but definitely as in a part of, in my generation, there's just not at all. It's, it's just a colloquial, informal way of reform, uh, of referring to a girl. Anyway, that's what we were saying. Be that as it may, we do apologize if, uh, if what we said caused effects. Mm -hmm. And we will endeavor to do better. 
Totally. Okay, the tip and uh, recycling. Remember those days when you could go shopping for free at the tip? That was so fun. Cool. I've, I've never done this, by the no, way. You guys no, are talking about how right. amazing it is. I, I have it's never lived in the generation where it's okay to do. We would get we would get such a dopamine hit going to the, <laughs> going to the tip and dragging stuff out, bringing it back and building something out of it. That's so amazing. Which is so much epically better than being stuck in front of a screen somewhere. Mm. Uh, that was fun. Worldwide, there are massive fires common to Australia, as we all know. One uh, thousands of thousands of acres are burned every year. So much of the for the climate, but that is nature's way to clean itself. Maybe we should learn from nature on how to deal with garbage tips. I know there will be an outcry on my statement, but I think about it for a moment. How about volcanoes? They go off every year. Just a thought. Burnout in tips would not compare to all that. Yeah, there's going to be some outcry on that one. Yeah, I don't Get know. Get ready for it. I don't know it's if coming. I agree with burning the tips down. And, you know, I don't like natural fires, whether they are bushfires or volcanoes either. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, look at all, you know, like we kind of can discount the effect of CO2 that we release into the atmosphere because of volcanoes going off. But it's like, was that yeah, just good because, for the environment? No, like, it wasn't good for the environment. And just because there is bad things happening for the environment doesn't mean we should add to it. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. All right. Then we continue on. Americans and alcohol, 23% think it's positive. Not surprised, but the main culprits is really the companies that make the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are peddling death. Uh, and the marketing and advertising teams, the movies, etc., won't change till that changes. Still, I'm surprised that only 23% think it's positive. I think that's actually a much better statistic than what I was expecting. So, mm. praise God. All right, Bible believers and readers, it's hard to... It's hard to be stressed when God is with you to give you peace in times of trouble. We know how it ends. Yes, that is really uh, such a, a, a big impact in relationship with that. The transition of kids, the company being sued, that's great. More mm. power to the families who have suffered because of it. Hopefully this will happen to all the organisations that have done the same worldwide. May they have a very long, may they have a very long stay in government facilitation facilities with bars i i was so surprised by that story actually just seeing how increasingly secular england is becoming yes and they're they're saying like you know in in a context in which like england is very much moving towards the you know like pro-lgbt pro-transitioning you know for young people and all this stuff but in this case, they've taken a scientific approach. Yeah. And that's really important. They've taken a scientific approach. And they've taken a medical approach and rather than an ideological approach. The families have maybe foregone, foregone common ideology that is increasingly popular in the UK and they've gone, actually, Well, these families have lived kids. with it. Yeah. They've, they've, they've seen what's, what, how, 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 it's affected. how, it's, how damaging it, mm-hmm. it, it is. And uh, I think that this is a a foretaste of what is to come. Mm. I think, you know, a precedent will be set here that could easily take the world by storm and we will look back on this social contagion that we are dealing with right now with the same kind of horror as we look back on, you know, eugenics projects and mm. things like those from, say, the 1930s and 40s and 50s. We think we're mm. more intelligent now. No, we are not more intelligent now. Mm. Human nature has not changed and we need to remember that we shouldn't look back on previous generations and feel superior mm. to them, that they got it wrong but we will get it right because humans don't do that. Mm. All right, let me see here. Uh, we've got some more text coming through. 
It says, okay, so Ivan says this one. No, please don't change your language. You guys have the most inclusive, loving show in Australia. Don't change anything. <laughs> well, shout out, Ivan. <laughs> then we've got Braden. He says, they have tried burning rubbish in dumps before, resulted in a town being abandoned. Mm, yeah. Wow. Did not know that. So not only like rubbish, I have been to Malaysia, okay? Yes. And Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur is one of my favourite cities in the whole wide world, okay? They have a good racetrack, I'm thinking. They have a great racetrack there. There's Sepang International Circuit where they do the F1 like it's, and the MotoGP. Like, it's amazing. No, no, no. But the city itself, like, in terms of a city to go and explore, it's, like, clean, it's nice, it's high quality, and it's cheap. It really? Rides, it, rides, it rides the line perfectly, I've but, been to Malaysia. I wouldn't have described it. Have you been to Kuala Lumpur? Have I've you, never been to KL. Dude, that's the spot, bro. Like, I tra- like we went all around the city for like a week, all the different spots, and it was amazing. But the, the point of this story is that at the time, Indonesia was deforesting because they do that over there. They were like burning down all their forests to then, you know, extract palm oil and stuff like that. And all of the haze had drifted over onto KL to the point where, yeah, it was just, it was just smog every single day. It was just smog, smog, smog. And, uh, as a result, the, the, uh, the Malaysian government was suing the Indonesian government for like a trillion dollars. But, but what it showed like during that time, it's like the, like they were burning down a forest. Yep. And the devastating effect that that had on the city, the, you know, people were staying inside, people wearing masks, like the health of the city, you know, they had a, a bunch of, you know, people. Asthmatic people dying. That's right. All this kind of stuff. And that was burning down a forest. Do you want to burn down a tip and let that happen? <laughs> so, 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 so our person sending through the text message said this might, um, might trigger some discussion. It continues to trigger discussion. Uh, some warships have been trying trialing garbage incinerators as a method to deal with their waste. Mm-hmm. I'm sure about the unsure about the pollution though. So a lot of people having to something to say on this issue of how to get rid of waste. I still think that the tip shop idea of uh, being able to go there and recycle is just the best. It's incredible. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So the other great memory I've got about tip shops is going to not not tip shops, but you know going to the tip, which was just like a shop for us. Mm-hmm. Is we would go there and raid anything that had wheels. Mm-hmm. So you'd get prams. Uh, back in the day, you used to be able to get those those wheeled things that have a a, a that have wheels and that have like a. a uh, a clothes basket in them, so you wheel it out to the clothesline and hang your clothes mm-hmm. up. I remember mm-hmm. those, and we would we would raid all of the wheels that we could find, bring them back, and uh, attach them to you know pieces of steel for axles, and we'd make go karts, and we'd be riding these things down the most crazy hills. <laughs> we would we would be getting beat up. There would be blood, and there would be stitches, and it was just the most epic. That is fun, incredible ever. That is incredible. It is. It is. We had this one that was three wheeled. It was just a death trap. It was oh, it's hot, dude. Three, anything three wheeled <laughs> is a death trap. <laughs> like, if it's got one wheel at the front or one wheel at the back, it's going to kill you. Like, it had one wheel at the back. It was, um, yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we'd welded it together, and our welding was not very good because we were kids. And yeah, I think, my, like bro- I think my brother welded it together. Yeah. And it had a wheel for a steering wheel. 
Welded a wheel on, cram wheel on for a steering wheel. That is awesome. Yeah, see, this is what this is the things that kids need to be involved in rather than screens. This is so much better than screens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, living in Tasmania, you know, everything is hills and valleys, and so there's plenty of hills to go and ride these things on. Oh, totally. Uh, And you could get up to just scary speeds. Epic. Let's get into our Bible study. Let's go to Psalms chapter 137 and verse 1. While you're turning there, any ideas? You want to take a guess on who may have written this psalm? Uh, 137. Yeah. I'm going to assume that it's not David. Right. It's why, why, what's your assumption based on? Because there was more writers than David. Yeah, there's more writers than David. Um, so some of the Psalm writers, you particularly got, the later Psalms. Yeah. You've got David, you've got the sons of Korah, you've got Asaph. Is Solomon. Solomon. Is there any of those people? No. It's not? No. Okay. Okay, so let's read Psalms 137 and verse 1. Psalms 137, I'm just finding it around the page. And verse 1, the, the Bible says, Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. Okay, so here you've got a psalm that postdates all of the people that you mentioned by about 400 years. Mm. Yeah. Because they're in Babylon. Yeah. David was not in Babylon. Solomon was not in Babylon. The sons of Korah were not in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Asaph was not in Babylon. Mm. Is, is this like Isaiah or Jeremiah, no, I, uh, Daniel? No, you're getting closer. No, you're getting closer. One of these guys? Okay, so Isaiah predates this by around about 100 years. Yeah. But Jeremiah went to Babylon. Yeah, that's right. Daniel went to Babylon. Uh-huh. And so most likely this would be Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know exactly because there's no name that is attached to it, but it would. Uh, it does not sound like. It does not sound sound Danielish, mm-hmm. Danielesque. It doesn't have a <laughs> Daniel feel to it, but has very much has a Jeremiah feel to it. Yeah. Okay, so why are they sitting down by the rivers of Babylon and weeping? Because Jerusalem's been destroyed and they're slaves again. Yeah. You know, they were slaves in Egypt. And slavery is one of those things that, you know, it really embeds in itself into a nation's psyche when a nation is enslaved. Mm. You think about the fact that, you know, thousands of years later, the Jewish people still celebrate the Passover as a celebration of when they uh, received their freedom from slavery. Mm. That, that's a long period to, for, mm. for the concept of slavery to be embedded in your mind. It's been embedded in their, their minds for hundreds and hundreds of years when this happens, and they're back in it again. Mm. That would have to be unbelievably discouraging after you've been, you know, celebrating the Passover your whole life. Yes, we are not slaves. We are free people and now we're slaves. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, just on that point of like it affecting, you know, a, a psyche of a nation, it, it, it was just really interesting. We had a family of African-Americans come over to Australia and celebrate their son's baptism last weekend. Oh, Caleb, you got awesome. baptized. Thanks for Caleb. Particularly talking to Caleb's brother, uh, he, you know, it was just very apparent to him, like, as, as an African American, like, they come from a family where, so in Australia, they often get asked by other Africans, like, which part of Africa are you from? Sure. And they're like, oh, we're African American. And they're like, oh, yeah, but which part of Africa are you from? And they're like, we don't know. Like, our last name is Manly. Somewhere West Africa. Like somewhere where they took slaves from. And it, it, it just. Most likely West yeah, Africa. That's right. They don't know Benin, Ghana. Like they have no idea. Um, and it, it is so apparent to them that, that history. Mm. And it's still very present on the mind. Well, look at because, how it affects the nation of the United States to this day. That's right. You know, and how long is that effect going to last? Mm. 
you know, how long is it going to be before that effect is over mm. of you know the issue of slavery? I mean, mm. you know, if you look at it in the in the UK, it's definitely much diminished in the UK, but they're what a hundred years ahead of the United States mm. in getting rid of slavery. So probably something that will affect the United States for the next hundred years because of the way it's been politicised there. That it hasn't been politicised mm. in the UK, then maybe a lot longer. That's right. We've also run into a situation in the last five, six years in which yeah, everything has become incredibly politicised as well. Yes, and polarised, and, and everybody has to have their mm-hmm. one side, this side or the, the other side. They will barrier to push. But at the same time, like, the point is is that, yeah, it definitely affects the psyche of people and the psyche of the nation, particularly talking to this guy from the United States, and it's like, you know, he comes out here and everyone's asking that question, like, which part of Africa are you from? They don't know. Yeah, see, African Australians know. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, yeah, my family comes from, you know, this Sudan, country. Sudan, uh, you know, Uganda, yep. Rwanda. Zimbabwe, whatever it might be. Yeah, like one of, one of my good friends, he's he's like Rwanda, like escaped the persecution over there. And, um, but, yeah, these guys have no idea. Yeah, and, and, and five generations from now, once his children are, you know, just full-blown, well, they're Aussies. Aussies and uh, um, in every, every respect imaginable, um, they'll still know that their family came from Uganda. Rwanda. Rwanda. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, similar words. <laughs> yep, but but yeah, no. What you're saying is so true. Like, and and now they're feeling this effect again in verse one. Yes, where they they see it. They're like, the worst thing that has ever happened to us is back. And they were rescued in such a miraculous way, and God did such amazing things to get them, and went to so much effort to get mm-hmm. them out of slavery, and now they're back. Mm. It would have to be so unimaginably discouraging. Not only that, but they're cousins. Mm. A couple of hundred years before this, mm. the nation of Israel, this is the nation of Judah we're talking about here, but the nation of Israel, a hundred years before this, was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Where are they? Uh, they, they don't even exist. They're gone. Mm. They, they simply do not exist. They have simply vanished. And, you know, this is one of the tragedies that you get um, is that over time people assimilate. Mm. They assimilate to the... The, the culture and the country that they are living in, mm-hmm. and uh, all of those, all of those traditions and all of those cultural aspects that people hold dear, they disappear. Especially in a slavery context. Especially in a slavery context. You know, I, as you said, you know, in five generations, like you'd still know you're Rwandan because you you have the freedom and the opportunity to celebrate your culture. Whereas what's taking place here is you are forced to assimilate. To I mean, the slave. reality is, I think, for five generations from now, uh, when the person is asked, you know, what's your family heritage, and then they're, they're going to probably reply, Australia being Australia, uh, Rwandan, European, Chinese, mm-hmm. Pacific Islander. It's mm-hmm. probably the answer they'll give in five generations mm-hmm. from now. Mm-hmm. And so which of those do you identify with? Well, you don't identify with any of them. You identify as being Australian. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who immigrate to another country, it makes them sad mm. because they love their culture. They love the country mm. where they came from, uh, even though they've got good reason to move away from it. They love all of that. And and th- you'll see this with often with parents like, oh, no, you've got to marry someone from our same nation, from our same culture. You know, you can't lose any of that because they don't want to see it lost. But the reality is that's not reality. Mm. It's going to be lost. You're living in a different country. Your kids were born in this country. They're Aussies, mm. you know. Um, anyway, so let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29 now uh, because we're assuming that Jeremiah wrote this passage and we're going to look at uh, what Jeremiah, what, what God has to say in this passage and how God gives hope 
to his people who are in such a hopeless situation. Uh, why don't you read for us the first 10 verses? The first 10 verses. I have some time to read this before we get into our well, song. Read as many as you can before the song starts. All right. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, <laughs> the court officials, and the other officers of Judah, and all the craftsmen and all the artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent them a letter with Elash, son of Sephan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of the heavens armies and the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon for Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they may marry and have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it and for its welfare, and its welfare will be determined uh, your welfare. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the fortune tellers who are in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I'll bring you home again. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Anyway, producer Shell is turning red right now. <laughs> Something interesting happening with the, uh, with the phone that that song was playing from. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next, the last, the final, the last one. What last free question, gift Fred, did Jesus offer at the end of Revelation 22? If you know the answer... 0491-064-669. This is your last, your very, very, very last opportunity to get into the quiz. That is absolutely stacked. So again, that question was, what free gift did Jesus offer at the end of Revelation 22? Our prize for this week, which will be drawn in about 15 minutes, snake bites and shipwrecks. So get ready for that, 0491-064-669. All right, so moving back into our Bible study, we just read this fascinating passage here from uh, the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah was talking about the Babylonian captivity and there are a number of things that within the passage we can draw out where God gives them hope. Mm-hmm. And this is the most important thing that God does throughout the Bible. This is why young people who read the Bible are so much less stressed mm. than those who don't read the Bible, it is because the Bible is constantly giving hope. And God does it over and over again through this passage. So let's go to verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Yeah, it's a little bit different from my translation. Let me read this from... My translation where it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, who I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. Mm -hmm. So who actually carried them? God. God did. Mm. Now that's interesting. They're in captivity. They're in the crucible. Mm. 
and God says, I carried you here. Mm. I caused words, you to be carried here. I haven't forgotten you. Mm. I know who you are. Mm-hmm. There is a reason why you are here. And, of course, that reason is for them to be able to get their act together with God again. And repent. And to repent and come back to God. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I carried you. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of comfort in that because, you know, it reminds me of the parable of the footprints mm. uh, where there's only one set of footprint, footprints in the sand, you know, because, you know, the, the, the guy's looking at, you know, the, his life as being a walk along the beach and he's noticing that Jesus is walking with him along the beach and there's two sets of footprints and he's like, that's great, Jesus has been with me. And then he comes to really dark periods of his life, it's like, for instance, when he goes into captivity and there's only one set of footprints. He's like, why did you leave me? And Jesus is like, I didn't, I carried you. Mm. Mm. They're going into captivity. It's going to be really hard and God is carrying them. Okay, so there's the first thing that gives hope is that God hasn't forgotten them. God knows what is going on. And uh, this is not the result of chance or, you know, some unpredictable evil. Uh, Even though evil seems to surround them, Judah has never left God's hands. Mm. All right, so now let's go to verse 7. What does your say there in verse 7? In verse 7 it says, And the work for the and work, sorry, for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Okay, so they've been sent, sent captivity uh, into Babylon. Uh, they are going to be dispersed through a number of cities of the Babylonian Empire, including the city of Babylon itself. And when they get in those cities... What does God say to do in about those cities? Should they hate on those cities? Should they reject those cities? Should they have nothing to do with those cities? Should they just sort of complete, keep them themselves completely separate from those cities? What does what does God say to do? In no, He says live in them and and do like do stuff. Pray for them. Pray for them. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really really important point right here because. You know, they could go into those cities and feel tremendously bitter mm. against their captors, mm-hmm. the people who have taken them captive and who have enslaved them. Mm-hmm. But God says, don't feel bitter, pray for them. Mm-hmm. And this is repeated, you know, in Jesus by Jesus on the Mount of Olives with the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, pray for those that despitefully use you, pray for those, pray for your enemies. Mm. Pray for those that do terrible things against you. And so uh, why does he say that? So that you can live in peace. Mm. And then furthermore, like repeated by Paul again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he's like, you know, pray for kings and all men of authority. And, you know, for this is um, good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, like that you might live a good and peaceable life. That's right. Like God is ultimately recognizing that like you're going to live as Christians, as Followers of God, you're going to live in plenty of different contexts in which there will be trials and persecutions, and you need to witness. You need to be a representative of God, so pray. That's right. Mm. Don't be antagonistic about all of that stuff. Mm. Okay, so then we come down to verse 10, and this is probably the best part of it right here, verse 10. Yeah, in verse chapter 29 and verse 10, kind of, yeah, the where we start to get a little bit prophetic here. It says, this is what the Lord says, you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I'll come and do for you all the good things I promised. I'll bring you home again. Okay. Um, why, why does this one give them so much hope? Well, he gives them a, 
literal time period. Yes. They're not going to be gone forever. That's right. That's ultimately what's being communicated. Like, they will not be lost forever. And what's interesting is that uh, Daniel in Babylon actually receives a copy of this letter. Mm. We know that he receives a copy of this letter. Because he says so. Because he, yeah, that's right, he says so. He's like, I was studying the books of Jeremiah, and while I was studying the books of Jeremiah, I found this prophecy about 70 years of captivity. He recognizes that this 70 years applies to his generation of captivity because there was three different generations of captivity and the shorter generation was only there for 40 years but he recognizes that this one applies to his generation Mm. and so he's going to be there for the longest he's probably never going to go back and he never does go back as far as we know he would have been you know pushing his late 80s early 90s by the time this prophecy comes to its fulfillment probably probably around 87 88 years Mm. of age when this prophecy is fulfilled. And so, no, he's not going back. But he recognises that there is hope for God's people Mm. and that there is the opportunity to pray. And it's interesting here that uh, Jeremiah's letter says, pray for your city, pray for the people in your city, and be productive Mm. in that place. And then it says it won't last forever. So what does Daniel do when he goes to Babylon? He's the capital of Satan's empire right here. He prays for that city. He prays for the people in that city. He prays for the emperor of that city. He does all that he can to exert a positive influence in that area. And he has a productive career. Mm. He doesn't hold back and say, you know, I'm not going to be part of the Babylonian administration because these are this is Satan's empire and this is the this is this is this is Satan's city here that is oppressing my people. No, these are my enemies. I'm not going to have any part of them. He doesn't say that. Mm. He's like, sure, I'll become prime minister. Mm. I, I will take that role. I will take the highest role that there is possible to offer me in the empire. And when I get there, I will not undermine the empire. Mm. He works so effectively in that role that he maintains that role throughout the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He receives it for maybe an hour under Belshazzar Mm. and then is given that role again under the Persian Empire. Mm. This is really quite an outstanding career in the ancient world because he literally reads this prophecy right here, references it in his own work, and lives it in his life. Wow. This is somebody who takes the Bible very, very seriously. So many more things that we could look at here in relationship to how God gives hope in the most hopeless situations because God tells us what will happen at the end of the book. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. To The Breakfast Show, we've come to the time for our draw. But before we get into it, we're going to do question of the day. We're going to work our way through that, and then we are going to have our draw. We're just getting all of the names. We have a ton of people who have signed up, so we're getting all of the names in so that we can accurately do our wheel of names, give everyone a fair shot. But right now it's time for... Question of the Day. So we've had a question come in from Thomas, and it says this. So the name of the Messiah is Joshua, meaning Jehovah's salvation, definitely not Jesus. Okay, so this is an interesting, uh, an interesting question. This is actually right just here. a statement. We well, thought yeah, we would we talk about it in question of the day. Why not? Why not? Okay, so when you look at the name, it, it's, it's actually neither Joshua nor Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, it's neither of those because those are both anglicized names. Uh-huh. Um, but they are both the same anglicized name essentially. Mm-hmm. So when you look at 
uh, where this comes from. Um, you've got, you know, there's some proposals. The literal etymology of the name uh, Yehoshua, that's where we get Joshua from, so mm-hmm. Yehoshua, uh, including Yahweh saves, salvation, a saving cry, a cry for saving, a cry for help, uh, Yehovah, Yahweh or Yehoah is my help. So these are some of the different meanings that you can draw from the name Yehoshua, mm-hmm. from which we get Joshua. Now, of course, uh, the name for Jesus is, you know, this is a, a this comes from through a process from the Isis of Greek. Um, which has then come through to the English language. So it kind of goes from Aramaic to Greek because the New Testament is written in Greek. And from Greek, it then goes to English, which is where we get Jesus, which is, you know, it's quite somewhat separated from the original name that Jesus would have been used, Jesus would have uh, been referred to by as in, uh, you, you know, in, in the literal time in which he was living. So it's uh, derived from the Latin Iesus, which is a transliteration of the Greek, Iosus, uh, which is a rendering of the Hebrew and Aramaic, Yeshua, which is a shorter version of the earlier Hebrew name, Yehoshua or Joshua. So that's kind of how it came to us. Yeah. So Jesus is, a, is actually a shortened version, or the, the original Hebrew uh, Aramaic word for Jesus was a shortened version of Joshua. So it wasn't exactly the same as Joshua. It was kind of like an abbreviated Joshua. We do that. Mm. It was kind of like Josh. Mm. You know, we have Joshua and we have Josh. Yeah. And Jesus gets the shorter version. And sometimes you're going to find people who we call Josh and then actual name is Joshua. Mm. Uh, you'll find people who we call Josh and we assume their actual name is Joshua, but it's actually Josh. Mm. And so with Jesus, it was the shorter version, according to the Bible, was his actual name. It was a shortened version of Joshua. Mm. I think uh, there's actually some insight that I've got recently. I'm taking Hebrew classes at oh, the moment. Oh, there you go. And so I, I assume, because a lot of people say, oh, it's the same name. It's not the same name. You see, because in Hebrew, um, the words are only made up with consonants. and then you, right. And then vowels denote which word they are. So, for example, the word like reading book and library which in English are all related words, but different from each other. Very different. In Hebrew, they would all use the same consonants and yes. then just have different vowels. Yes. And so what we see... So with, different jots and tittles. That's right. It's most likely that Jesus and Joshua have the same vowels because they mean very similar things. Yes. But then have different... Uh, sorry, have the same consonants, but then some different jots and tittles to denote their vowels. And then we've just yet yeah, transliterated both of those names as different things because they are different, even though they use the same consonants. And and honestly, I think it would be the perspective of someone who's a bit less inclined towards Hebrew to say, oh, they're the same name when they're actually not. Yeah. And we can see that very clearly. So. Absolutely. And, you know, this is something that we do all the time. It's not something that uh, somebody's going to be, you know, concerned or offended by. When I travel to South America and people see my name, which is spelled L-Y-L-E, they call me Lile. And I'm like, hey, that's so that's like, so awesome. It's it's just like well, you just you just roll with it. Yeah. Um. It it sounds kind of weird to me because I don't speak Spanish, but mm-hmm. in South America, and I assume it would be the same in Spain mm-hmm. where they see L Y L E, they would pronounce it Lille. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yep, okay. When I'm in South America or Spain, I'm Lille, and when I'm in English speaking countries, I'm Lyle. Yeah. But then the question is like, does God get offended when we call church church instead of a ecclesia or something you know like i you know god expects us to worship in the language 
that we communicate the most effectively. Mm-hmm. But hey, that has been our question of the day. And right now it is time for the draw for the quiz. We have our wheel of names going. And as you can, you can hear, it's spinning. It's getting and, and around. There's more people on this it's list than we've ever had done. before. Here we go. And stop. Okay, we, yes. okay, we have someone. We're going to get in contact with them. As we do that, let's have some answers for the quiz for today. So, apart from Apostle, what was the occupation of Paul? It was Tent Maker. What was the name of the youngest son of Jacob? His name was uh, was Benjamin. Um, Eliphaz, the Temanite, was the friend of... Do you know the answer to this one? Moses, Job, Amos, Ezekiel. What is it, La? Job. It is Job. That's right. We've been talking about We've him. We've been talking about so much about Job. I couldn't, I couldn't miss that one. <laughs> That's right. When Daniel heard there was a new law forbidding prayer to his God, what did he do? He prayed. Good for him. And finally, what free gift did Jesus offer at the end of Revelation 22? He offered the water of life. He did indeed. If you got one those ones correct, then that's fantastic. But hey, right now we've got on the phone our winner for today, which is Karen. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. So, do you live in a rural part of Australia that's very far from Newcastle? Yes, I do. Oh, oh. yes. <laughs> We're sending Lawson out the bush. <laughs> ah, Karen, what part of Australia do you live in? Central Queensland. Central Queensland. <laughs> uh, you're off on a trip to play snakes and shipwrecks in Lawson. Twumba or something. I don't know. No, that's not Central Queensland. That's just sort of a little bit west. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where? But, hey, it's congratulations. Toowoomba. Oh, yikes. Okay. Well, <laughs> congratulations. We'll be getting that prize to you as soon as we possibly can, and we're absolutely stoked that you've won it. And we hopefully Thank you will you enjoy so it with your family, with your church family, with whoever else. Invite them over for a great board game. So uh, have fun. And, and we can actually we can, learn a lot about Paul's journey in the process. We can hear the kids yeah. in the background too. So they, they're probably going to enjoy it as well. Yes, I'm sure. Ah, amazing. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for playing the quiz, everyone. And I just I just want to say how epic it is that we had someone from out the bush who won the prize. Mm. I mean, what is it, 95% of Australians live along the coast? <laughs> and we encourage people from remote Australia to participate this week. And mm. Karen was there just... Just absolutely killing it every day. And she won. Getting in there and she wins. And we're sending our prize out the bush. So that's, mm. that's just epic. Mm. Don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith. And you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.